The Italian Wine Podcast is introducing a new donation drive this month. It's called Why Am I a Fan? We are encouraging anyone who tunes in on a regular basis to send us your 10-second video on why you are a fan of our podcast network or a specific show. We will then share your thoughts with the world with the goal of garnering support for our donation drive. Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs you in order to continue to receive awesome free wine edutainment seven days a week. We are asking our listeners to donate to the Italian Wine Podcast by clicking either the GoFundMe link or the Patreon link found on italianwinepodcast.com. Remember, if you sign up as a monthly donor on our Patreon, we will send you a free IWP t-shirt and a copy of the Wine Democracy book, the newest Mama Jumbo Shrimp publication. Hello, everybody. My name is Polly Hammond, and you are listening to Uncorked, the Italian wine podcast series about all things marketing and communication. Join me each week for candid conversations with experts from within and beyond the wine world as we explore what it takes to build a profitable business in today's constantly shifting environment. In this, our last Uncorked episode of the year, we are showcasing a very special initiative that brings stories, community, and purpose together for good. I'm pleased to welcome Ryan McDonald Brocker to the show. Alongside her brother, Miles, Ryan is the second-generation leadership at ultra-premium Napa brand Round Pond Estate. Weeks ago, they launched the Honorin Project to bring awareness, togetherness, and funding to support Alzheimer's research. Today, we talk about their family journey to wine, how communication was key to succession planning, and how they've turned their family's experience into a deeply personal initiative that supports a greater good. Let's get into it. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me this morning on this, my last uh, episode for the Italian Wine Podcast. I have you here for a very special reason, but I don't think we're going to get to that until later in this episode. So welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, you are second generation owner, operator of Round Pond Estate. For everyone who's listening, we've got a big European audience. Can you just tell us a little bit about Round Pond and kind of what sets you apart from some of your Napa Sonoma neighbors? Sure. So Round Pond um, for us is a family business, as you said. We've been in Napa Valley since 1983. Um, actually, we were in Napa Valley starting in the late 70s, but um, where we are now sort of physically we're down uh, on the valley floor. And, you know, um, this was a love of my dad's. He wanted to be a farmer, um, you know, sort of in his in his real life. Um, unfortunately, he never really got that chance other than through Round Pond initially, um, you know, uh, selling the grapes. And that's that's what we did for the first 20, 30 years of our existence uh, when mom and dad were running a business. And um, when Miles and I joined, which was in 2000, um, we started sort of envision that we had a special opportunity to make wine. And, um, you know, we have this incredible piece of property, which is, you know, super lucky in Rutherford, in the Napa Valley, on the valley floor. Um, and we realized that, you know, not only did we have the vineyards, but if we were able to build a winery and uh, have the selection from those vineyards, 
um, to actually create our own wine that we, you know, would have an opportunity, opportunity to do something special. So that was sort of what we envisioned and, and why we started. Um, but it didn't start out with wine is my understanding. I actually love this story that as children, you played in the original property, your family would camp on the original property. Like, because I know that you have an ultra premium property that's written up all over the place, but it actually was a, a real, like, I'm going to just use the word down home family effort in the late seventies and early eighties. Right. So you started out with olives. Is that right? Yeah. So we actually, um, yeah, initially there was nothing on the property. Uh, we would camp, um, you know, we'd go up, there was just a platform, an old wooden platform. And so my dad would take us. And really the real reason was, you know, there were four of us kids and my mom was exhausted by the weekend. And so my dad would put us all in the car and take us away uh, to give my mom a bit of a break. And so, <clears throat> you know, she loved her, her Saturday morning uh, with her coffee and getting to relax. And then we'd head out and go up and, you know, into the Napa Valley and into the hills and, and camp for the weekend. And so that was sort of our first exposure. Um, and, and what was it about olives that your dad who wanted to be a farmer was like, right here, here's what we're doing kids. Sure. Um, well, so the way it really started was the vineyards, right? So we had the vineyards and we had the, the farming business, you know, from, you know, 82 to ongoing. So we still have that. Um, and so in about, I think it was 1990. Five, you know, my dad had this idea to recreate um, what he had experienced. He and my mom had experienced when they were younger. They would come up to the Napa Valley in their twenties and thirties, and there was this old um, olive mill where they would go and fill up a jug of oil and bring it back to the city to enjoy. And so he had this vision that, hey, let's recreate something like that that can be a community resource and people can come and. Um, you know, have this fresh product that's so incredible. And so um, that's why we initially did it. And we built a whole olive mill and <clears throat> have an incredible uh, stone mill and the centrifuge and the whole process where we now um, can make our own oil. And so that was sort of the genesis of the project. Wow. Wow. So um, I understand that to this day, along with the olive oil, there's also a really strong farming component that runs along with, you know, we've got the grape growing and we've got the olive oil, but in fact, you've got a full garden on site. Is that correct? We do. We've got, my mom has a huge passion for the land and for gardening. And so um, we've always had a, a very big personal garden um, at Round Pond where, you know, the family goes and gathers and, and we use for, for everything for cooking and produce and all of that. And so I think it was in 2010, we decided to sort of replicate that for the winery itself so that consumers could come to the winery and walk through the garden and pick, you know, the fresh um, produce from the land. And so what do you grow? Oh, my gosh, grow? we grow so many different things. You, you kind of uh, we grow it, you know, you name it, we grow it. Um, everything from zucchini and cherries. And we've got, um, gosh, avocados. Um, which are difficult to grow here, but we, we do have a, a few plants. We've got, does that bring the millennials to you? The avocados? <laughs> their avocado I had to make the avocado joke. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, I mean, honestly, so many different things I can't even tell you. <clears throat> and, um, 
right now it's all, you know, winter uh, lettuces and chards and kales and, and things like that. But come summer, it's, you know, all of the usual summer produce, which is wonderful. So because I do have to talk about business a little bit, is that actually a commercial component that, that people can come strictly for the farming side of the property, even if they're, you know, not wine lover, do you sell that produce or is it, is it strictly experiential? It's really strictly experiential. We, we have at times, um, sold some of that produce to restaurants, you know, locally so that they can, they can use it. Um, but really it's, Part of the experience for people who visit Round Pond, not only can they go out to the garden and, and pick the produce themselves, but they can also experience that in all of their um, tastings. We have a beautiful El Pranzo lunch that we do where people can, um, you know, taste through all of the produce and not only the olive oils and, and everything else and the wines, of course, that come from the property, but um, the food as well. So, um Second generation in that process, when you and your brother Miles took over and, or when you were not necessarily took over, but when you were, you know, becoming more involved in it and making some of those business decisions, you know, how, how did that work between you and your parents? Is it you saying, Hey, we see a real opportunity, you know, we can build this, we can grow it in this direction. Was it you know, kind of the light bulb came on for everyone all at once. What did that process of secession look like? Sure. Well, it's so interesting. So um, there's a couple of things there. So dad, first of all, was such an amazing uh, mentor and leader, uh, you know, and throughout our childhood, we grew up with his um, sort of lectures as we called them. And so um, we always had this sort of incredible advice coming at us, you know, that could be applied to business, but really was sort of life advice, like, um, you know, follow up, follow up, follow up. You know, if you don't uh, care who gets the credit, you'll be fine. You know, take care of people. It was all this kind of stuff. And so um, so we sort of had that in the back of our minds as we were getting going. And um, part of that, I think, is spending a lot of time thinking about how do you plan for succession and how do you pass from one generation to the next? And so he was very willing to say, um, pass the buck to the next generation. Cause I think he knew that so often, you know, that, that is the source of conflict in families. And that's, uh, often why businesses don't, you know, transition successfully from one generation to the next. So yeah. And, and that's why I'm asking, because it, it can be a huge problem. Either we just kind of stick our heads in the sand about it or, you know, there's contention. Um, so to hear that this started early on is is fabulous. Yeah. So he had no problem letting go. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think he had a lot of faith in us and he um, he allowed us to make a lot of mistakes, which I think you you have to do in order to sort of evolve and be successful. Probably helps that there were four of you. I think that the more children you have, the more you just embrace the fact that, all right, we're going to learn some things, the brute force method, you know, it's just, it's, it's not going to always be smooth sailing. Um, so you've got you and your brother came in to, um, to kind of take on the, what is it to take the torch, to carry the baton. Um, 
Was there ever this moment when you just looked at each other and you're like, come on, don't you want to just like, don't you want to bail? Don't you want to go live in Costa Rica? What, what are we thinking? Why are we continuing this wine journey? You know, we're going to go make pickles. We're off. Right. Well, you know, wine is a tough business and olive oil is an even tougher business. And that's mostly because of the process of making the product. It takes a very, very long time. Right. So with with wine, you're um, in the ground planting. You know, it's really not until your seventh year that you get a fantastic uh, crop that, you know, the winemakers are happy with. And then after that, you don't release the wine for another three years. So it's really a 10 year venture. So there are definitely a lot of moments along the way where you're thinking to yourself, well, why didn't I go into high tech and you know <laughs> make a billion dollars overnight? And how come, you know, how come we're doing we this? We work but, so hard. Um, why do we work so hard? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's so soul satisfying in so many ways. And there's just really nothing like being able to put your, you know, hands in the dirt and, and feel like you're creating something from nothing, um, both as far as the product is concerned, but also as far as um, building a business and building it with your family. So. Well, that's a really nice segue because um, one of the reasons that ultimately I um, invited you on the show is that you have a fabulous marketing team. It's one of those things that we notice like, just the content's great. The email's good. The comms are outstanding. So I would say for anybody listening, if you want a real masterclass on good email communications, you need to go and subscribe to the Round Pond email. Um, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But uh, having this history, you know, in Napa, and of course, we've got articles coming out now about how expensive Napa has become and, and how the, the environment, the tourism environment, and even just the residential environment has changed so much. Has, have, are, are there any kind of standout changes that you could talk about to marketing an ultra premium brand in Napa? And then of course, in the era of D to C getting that beyond Napa. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting. I would say, you know, COVID obviously uh, propelled a lot of people and businesses forward or or not, right? So I think we all realized we had to embrace this. And one of the things I think that happens in the wine business is that it's very easy to be complacent and sort of happy with where you are and um, rest on your laurels. And I think brands can become very tired that way. And so you know, from the get go, we've always said we don't ever want to be that old, tired brand. And so um, every opportunity that we, you know, can find, we try and propel ourselves forward in some sort of an interesting way. And so COVID was one of those ways digital, digitally, of course, uh, where we could. And so we had always talked about doing, you know, Zoom tastings and sort of bringing our product to our club members, for instance, that live in Wisconsin or abroad or wherever it was and who couldn't necessarily get to visit us. And so um, it was, as it, it, as you said, sort of a masterclass in overnight, uh, how do we do this and how do we do it well? And so, um, you know, I'm super proud of our team for leaning into that and figuring out you know, what we can do and how we can stay relevant and interesting um, as a brand. Is some of it Risk taking? Is it, um, you know, saying we have no idea if this is going to work or not? And and if so, how do you balance that 
being, uh, you know, a legacy brand really. Um, is there a fear? Are you constantly kind of guarding the brand that you're like, we just have to be so careful that, um, everything that we do is either perfectly on brand or is it because we're a legacy brand, we have so much freedom to actually try things that maybe we couldn't if we just started out? Well, it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, I think I don't think of us as a legacy brand. I think of us as a young sort of newish brand. And because when in Napa Valley, there's so many, you know, companies that have been around for you know, many, many generations. And so I guess that gives us the freedom. I feel like we have the freedom to take risks. And as dad used to say, you know, throw things up against the wall and see what sticks. And to me, that's the only way. If, if you don't take risks, you're not going to be able to try new things and, and experience, experiment. And of course, you make mistakes along the way, but that's okay. You know, most most things you can recover from. So right. Right. Um, well, in the context of digital, I have to say I was pretty impressed because you have a YouTube channel that dates back 12 years. And I know that I'm forever saying to clients, can you please embrace video? Just come on a little. And they're like, no, no video, no YouTube. And I was like, wow, you've been doing that a long time. Well, thank you. Yeah, we we've been trying, you know, we like I said, I think it's one of our sort of guiding principles is that you know, we want to understand um, what's coming and what's relevant to our consumer and how we can best reach them. And so, um, of course, we have a lot to learn. You know, my next my next uh, venture that I want to understand and figure out is the whole NFT market and how can we as a winery sort of enter that? And, you know, what does that mean? And, and I don't know yet, but there's got to be something. I think there. anybody that tells you they do know is full of it. You know, we've, we've interviewed a handful of people about NFTs on this podcast, as I know many of my, um, any, many of my colleagues on the podcast have as well. And I come away from every one of those interviews, probably more confused than I went into it. Just saying, <laughs> is it art? I mean, like, I'm really just, just totally lost on yeah. that. Um, now that having been said, I did ask you on for a very special reason, um, which is along with possibly NFTs and some of the other things you're doing, you have just launched a new initiative at Round Pond, and I would love it if you could just talk to us a little bit about that. And I will try not to get weepy, but if I mute myself, that's why. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I am so excited. You know, for me, this really uh, brings me personally full circle. Yeah, I I got it involved with Round Pond when I was very young, and I'd had... Um, some health issues and, um, and was really thinking about what was important to me, uh, in life and where I wanted to end up and wanted to be able to give back. And, um, and so, you know, as we've talked about the wine business is uh, a difficult business. So it's taken us a long time, 20 years, but I feel like, you know, um, finally through our new project, it's called honor and, um, which is dedicated to uh, raising funds for people with Alzheimer's, um, we can finally do that. So sort of on a personal level, I'm just so thrilled and excited. Um, on another personal level, this is really um, to honor not only, so we, our dad, my dad, we lost to um, Alzheimer's last year, uh, May of 2021. 
um, after a really long battle and it had been uh, such a difficult journey uh, for us as a family. Um, it had been 10 years um, at least uh, of, of going through this process. And so um, after that, after he finally passed, we knew that we wanted to do something more. And so we have created this wine. It's called Honorin, uh, which means guardian or, you know, to show and pay respect uh, to. And so uh, I'm really excited not only to honor dad, but also to honor all of the other people who so many uh, families struggling with this uh, disease and um, to honor them and to raise awareness so that, you know, we can support each other and um, raise funds and, and awareness. That's a deeply personal thing to go out to the public with. How have you embraced the experience or what has been the reception as you go out into the world and you actually talk about the fact that this was 10 years, that it was so challenging and it was so much work? Um, you know, has it been all good? Has it been just liberating? Has it been like, you know, uh, experiencing trauma in public? You know, I think it has been for me so cathartic. Um, and the thing that's been most surprising is how many people are going through this. I mean, I can't tell you the number of emails um, and calls and conversations I've had with people who are uh, either in the in the midst of this or have lost someone. It's it's so. Um, it's so unbelievably pervasive. And the fact that as a society, you know, we don't talk about it more. I think, um, I think it's becoming more acceptable to talk about these things, but I know when dad initially was diagnosed, you know, we had this weird sense of stigma and shame about it. And we sort of went through this whole process of, um, not talking about it and then having to come to terms and accepting it ourselves. And so, I guess if we can help people to have those conversations and to feel okay, I feel like not feeling alone through the process will in and of itself help people um, to deal with the, deal with it because uh, it's so difficult and painful. Um, and for some reason we isolate ourselves and we don't talk about it together. So to the extent that we can get people to share their stories, I think, I do think it will be, you know, help as much as it can. And, and having people share their stories is a part of the project. Is that right? Mm -hmm. and yeah. I'm so excited about the label itself. So as we were thinking about this, uh, we, we didn't want to just honor dad. Uh, we wanted to honor everybody. As I said, it became very clear how many people are going through this, uh, in sort of talking more about this. And, um, so the label itself is going to have the faces and images of um, other people who have either been lost or are struggling with Alzheimer's. And so on our website, we've, we have a place where people can submit the images and then tell the stories of these people, um, you know, either of their journey or of the person they were before they, you know, struggled with Alzheimer's. And, um, there's just something so incredible about telling those stories. And then of course, reading those stories that they make me cry every day as I read them. But, um, I do feel like for people it's helpful to them and it's, um, 
you know, giving them a voice uh, where they've been silenced. And what do you envision doing with those stories? We know that the photos are going on the label. Is there yes. a bit more storytelling coming in the days and years ahead? Yes. So in my mind, I envision, um, you know, having the label and then maybe having something on our site where you can scroll over each, you know, person's image and then that will, um, you know, pop up their story, something like that. Um, this is sort of where the whole NFT idea is, you know, maybe we have these um, uh, poster size, uh, you know, labels where people can actually see the images clearly of their loved one and, and then, you know, have that for all eternity or whatever, live digitally and then maybe live in some, um, you know, poster style format uh, available as well. So right. maybe a piece of artwork. And this is, this is the first year, is that correct, that you've done this? It is, but yeah, so is it is it going to be a year on year or is it just a, a one off experience? No, no, we're really excited. So we have been working with the Alzheimer's Association here to raise funds for the last couple of years. Um, and go ahead and tell us you've raised a fair bit. How much has Round Pond yes, raised? Yes, yeah, no. Uh, so last year we were able to raise uh, seventy thousand dollars for the Alzheimer's Association. Um, and then um, uh, this coming year, well, 2022, we hope to be able to donate $100,000, which is fantastic. Um, and we've just gone through a November promotion fully committed to Alzheimer's uh, awareness. And so we're putting those numbers together now, but I expect it'll be around $100,000. Um, and then with Honor in the project, we really hope to do this every year. Uh, we'll release a wine um, called Honor in, in Honor and in support of the Alzheimer's, uh, you know, funding and awareness. And so we're hoping next year, uh, if we're successful, and I intend to be, we will raise $250,000 for um, wow. for the Alzheimer's cause. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. And then the sky is the limit from there. You know, we hope to grow every year. So we are in an era where every brand is being told that they need purpose, they need you know, value-driven, that they need something beyond just profits to motivate them. Um, Round Pond made a really personal decision on that. What would you say to brands who are listening, who are thinking, I would like to be purposeful, but I'm afraid that maybe my purpose isn't the purpose that everybody else is jumping into and talking about right now. You know, if it is something deeply personal, do you have any advice for them about how to culturally make that happen and how to communicate that to an audience? Sure. Well, I think it has to be deeply personal to be meaningful, right? Um, like you said, I think from a branding perspective, a lot of companies are um, going after the ESG, you know, uh, motto. And, and, and if it's not authentic and real, uh, you know, the consumer will know that. Um, so I guess my, my recommendation would be to pick something that is deeply personal and it will resonate um, with everybody. And, you know, it, it can be something that's really personal amongst your staff it can be something that maybe you've experienced, but, um, 
like I said, I've been amazed at the outreach and support we've received um, from people who are going through this. And so I, I imagine that anyone that endeavors to do something for the right reasons will feel the same way, even if it's a, you know, a less well-known or even if it's not safe. Cause I, I think that that's something that we really encounter in alcohol is that this notion of, we kind of need to be safe. I'll give an example. This was from probably 10 years ago. I remember being on a wine site and there was like an Easter egg on the site that was how to send, I can't remember exactly how it worked, but it was basically a click this button to change the screen immediately. And it was something that indicated, you know, that generally it was a domestic violence or domestic abuse situation. And there are so many things in terms of mental health, safety and security um, that I think are a lot of brands, whether they're wine or not, don't know how to message or don't know how to go out to the public with, because by and large, we want to pick things that feel good. You know, mm-hmm. and, and in your case, right. you've picked right. something that your outcome is wonderful, but possibly, especially in their early days, talking about it is not like the biggest feel good right. moment right. you've ever had. Absolutely. But, you know, even the things that are most difficult to talk about, I think those are the things we need to talk about the most. Right. Because you are somehow more isolated and alone, you know, whether it's mental health issues or. Uh, you know, domestic abuse or those things. And it's, it's that siloing that, that makes it so horrific and makes it so difficult for people. So, you know, maybe those are the issues we all need to be tackling the most. Probably. Um, So just moving forward, Honorin right now, is it in bottle? When does it when does it become available to drink? And how do you decide whose pictures to put on it? I mean, you're going to have years and years and years worth of pictures. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, well, again, it's, you know, like I said, it's a whole learning process. So we're in the process of designing the label now. Um, in fact, our designer is just taking all of the images that we have submitted. And so we're basically going to set a deadline of the end of the year. Um, and we're going to take all the images that come in um, and and work with those to put them on the label. And then, of course, any images that come in after that, we can look at putting on, um, you know, the the 2020, uh, 2022 bottling. So the Honor in 2021, which is the first vintage, will come out, be released in November. But we will have, you know, an ability, I think, um, for people to purchase it. Uh, before that, just throughout the year, next year, um, in order to start to raise awareness for it. And beyond Honorin, what's in store for Round Pond in the year ahead? Well, I'm also super excited about our sustainability initiatives. And um, I know that's sort of pokey, or maybe everyone's focused on that right now, but we've made a huge decision for Round Pond to switch to lighter weight glass. Um, wow. which in the industry, you know, it maybe it sounds like if you don't know the industry is not a big deal, but it, it is because often, uh, you know, heavy, big glass is associated with, you know, quality wine. And, um, so we've decided we're going to buck that trend and do something for the planet. And, um, 
start putting all of our wine in much lighter weight glass. And so that's just one of the many. Can I jump in and say thank you? Thank you. Because we need, we need premium and super premium and ultra premium brands doing that because, you know, that's where we change that opinion about the high, high weight equals the high quality, which we all know. Look, I'm going to love your wine, but I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to drink it. I want to drink wine. And and really that's, that's the hurdle that we have to jump is accepting that so much of the wine, even our fabulous super premium wines, we really want to drink. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Most people, you know, they, they buy a wine and they, they drink it that night. I mean, I think the statistics are exactly clear that way, but, um, you know, so I agree with you. I think you, we need to make these leaps and we need to, and we feel as a company that our customers for the most part will, um, understand that it's, you know, it's more important to, uh, to save the, the planet than to drink out of a really heavy bottle. And that, that isn't, doesn't have anything to do with the quality of the wine itself. So, you know, we're, we're making that leap and hoping our customers will come along with us. Um, with that in mind, yeah. are you seeing um, younger and younger customers? Because obviously our younger customers are completely like onto it with the lighter weight bottles. We don't have to explain that to them. It's so often kind of our older, you know, boomer, elder Gen mm-hmm. Xers who are still hardcore on the heavy bottles. Yeah. We are for sure. Um, but you know, we're an expensive, expensive wine. So, um, we are more and more appealing, I think to the millennials, um, and to the, you know, the younger generations, but, um, it is expensive. And so I'm hoping, you know, as, uh, as they come up through the world and their resources are better, they'll be able to, you know, join the round pond brand more, but, um, but we're even hoping, you know, our, our baby boomers will come along with us with this crazy uh, decision. Well, they have to because they have grandchildren (laughs) who are giving them a ton of shit if they don't. That's really it. Like every boomer I know is learning from their grandchildren. So you've got that. You've got um, an extensive events and gifting portfolio, correct? We do. We do. Um, Our events are amazing here on site at Round Pond. And, you know, we can host anything from small groups up to um, multiple hundreds of people. in a barn that we have here on site, but, um, which is really fun and an incredible team that puts that all together. And, um, and then we've got a great hospitality program where we love to have people as well. And, you know, just to come in and and taste and the whole, um, sort of ethos of that is that it's a very approachable, um, sort of humble, hopefully experience, but in a very elegant setting. So people can come and not feel, um, the hubris of wine or any of that, but, um, just enjoy a a wonderful high quality experience. Oh, that's fabulous. Ryan, thank you so much. I'm really grateful to you for coming on. We both made it through without crying, which I think is a a huge high five. (laughs) So for anyone, Huge huge high five, anyone who would like to know more about round pond and specifically the honor and initiative, where do they go? So specifically, they can come to our website, uh, roundpond.com. Very simple. Um, and, you know, you'll, you'll be able to go to our mission page and you'll be able to see all of our initiatives, both for honor in and sustainability. And, um, and you'll be able to submit a photo if anyone wants to. We'd be 
be so honored to tell, you know, your loved one's story. And so submit a photo there and, um, and, you know, feel free, but don't feel obligated to tell their story uh, so that we can put it out for the world to know as well. And, and on top of that, I will just say, I found that you have a very lovely YouTube video about this initiative as well. So we can find you at Round Pond Estate on YouTube and 12 years worth of storytelling right then and there. Um, so it's a really great resource for anyone who's trying to learn about the brand and what you're up to. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. I will let you get on with your day at this holiday season when I know you're probably swamped. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such an honor to be here. And that's a wrap on our very last episode of Uncorked. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining me today. Thank you to all the listeners who have supported this podcast. And an enormous thank you to Joy, Laika, and the podcast team for making all of this possible. The Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with daily episodes. Tune in each day and discover all our different shows. Be sure to join us next Sunday for another look at the world of wine marketing. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.